Hello, everybody, and I'm so happy to be here tonight with special guest, Dr. Ron Rufo. And I was really excited when he said yes, because this is a person who has a trajectory a little bit like mine in the context that he has experience with human trafficking and investigations in uh, sex crimes, but also has a really big passion for mental health advocacy and making some changes in all of our frontline first responder um, work environments. So he is really well versed in the culture, in the stigma, and some of the things that we can do to change the future, to change the pathway, to change the way that our families and our communities are all looking at mental health. So please welcome Ron Rufo to the show. Thank you, Krista. I really appreciate you having me and uh, everyone from Battle to Be as well. Um, it's a great organization and I'm happy to be part of it. I love everything about what you're doing. And I think that it's so much bigger and so much more impactful because you served as an officer. So had such a long career. What made well, you thank, do that in the first place? Thank you. What made me want to be a police officer? I, you know what? I came on late, Krista. I didn't come on until I was in the academy at 40. I took the test at 35 years old, and I was happy to be, be a police officer when they said start the academy. But that was five years later. Nothing with the Chicago Police Department happens overnight, nothing. Even if you they were to fire somebody, it takes a while. And uh, so I was happy to be at 40 years old. I was in the academy, finally realizing my dream. And uh, it was probably really the best time of my life. I had a great time as an officer trying to help as many people as I can, my fellow officers as well. I was able to join peer support at a real young, at, at a young time in my career. And uh, after my first two years on, I was asked to become a team leader for peer support, which really broadened my horizons and made it a lot, uh, a lot easier to try to help other officers that were hurting. And officers like to talk to other officers. They really don't like to go to talk to a counselor, psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever, because the fear of maybe a promotion or that someone's going to say something that would eventually hurt them. Right. One of the things that I talk about often with people is the idea that while resources are available, while there is a therapist that they can go see, that there is no privacy and they don't have the same right to uh, having all of their information protected, confidentiality, the way that the rest of the public does. So it's not it's not the same. So there's that fear that the therapist works for their supervisors and reports right. to their supervisors. So when when the general public who doesn't understand, who doesn't see why, well, we give them a therapist, why don't they use it? They don't see those those complexities. That's a hundred percent correct. The stigma out there is if I if I show my emotions, if I show somebody how it's how something has really impacted me, how a critical incident has affected my life, there's there's you know the camaraderie is there, but it's still not like it should be. Uh, when the brother's down, you got to pick them up. And, and a lot of, a lot of people are hurting. Not everyone is living a perfect life. I mean, everyone out there has some issues going on, but it's how they handle the, the issues and how strong they are. I remember in the Academy, they said that, um, you know, be strong. Uh, don't show weakness. Don't be that weak link. And it, it, it was, it was brought to you from the, from day one. You know, you're you're tougher than everybody else, but we're all human beings. We all experience different things how we um, in, in life and, and, and it's how we react to them. I remember one um, 
instructor in the academy, he said, who, who's married here and who's in the class? We had about 40 officers or recruits in the class and probably 25 were married. So they said, 80% of you are going to be divorced by the time your career ends. And I thought, boy, is that a large number? It's a lot larger than the general population. Is it because of the stress? Is it because what we see out there? What is it? And it's a lot of times officers is like living in two two separate lives. They they go home and they just shut down. They're not going to tell their significant other, their husband, their wife, their boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it may be they're coming home to that, hey, I had a real rough day. Uh, I seen a decapitated person uh, doing a traffic stop. Um, I saw a shooting. I saw a homicide. I saw a stabbing, whatever it may be. Officers see a lot more out there than the general public. But And it was true to form. About 80% of the in, from my class are divorced that, that stood up that day. It's really interesting you mentioned that because just yesterday I was doing a research project and I looked up the statistics and the statistics that they're quoting, they're saying up to 75, but they're like, we don't actually know for sure the numbers. So we're going to say, you know, between 40 and 75%. Right. But I, I was going to start asking people what they saw in their departments so I could get a little bit more of a valid idea of, I expected it to be closer to the high end too. You know, Chris, there's some guys that have 25, 30 years on, they're married three, four times already. And you could see the cynicism in them that how we were speaking before, that there's a gradual change in when you from the day you start the academy to the, the, your, the day you retire from your career. People do change and officers do change in that time. And I'm finding more cynicism now with 12 or 13 years on the job as much as I saw that with somebody with 25 or 30 years on the job. Um, it's there. It's it's. I think that's the way of life. It's what we're dealing with out there. We're. I, I I consider three things when for a police officer to deal with. And the first thing is the administration, the administration, the the bosses, their supervisors. They are always worried about who's gonna replace the person that may be supervising them. Will they lose their their squad car? Will they lose their beat? Will they lose their their vacation? Will they, they do anything? Will anything change because of that supervisor or the administration? And now they have to listen to them. And then the second thing is the job itself. As a police officer, you encounter, we're not dealing with altar boys all day long. We're dealing with criminals, uh, people that really do not like, like the police, a lot like the police, but a lot do not either. So we're dealing with the criminal element and aspect of our job. Uh, it's nice to help people, and that's one benefiting factor there. And then the next thing that we uh, deal with is our family, and um, coming home to our family. But a lot of these, a lot of these officers are working twelve-hour days. As we we spoke before, they're not getting days off. When you can't get a day off and working all these hours, depression starts to set in, anger starts to set in. Uh, you might come home and and take it out on your husband, your wife or whatever. And um, it, it does affect, it does affect our officers to a point. They may start drinking a little bit more. And um, I hate to say it with, with police suicide has always um, has been a passion of mine to, 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 to stop it, to, to stop what's happening to our officers. But the, the, um, we, we need to change and we need to change somehow, but everyone be on board and I'm, everybody talks about it, but let's start doing something about it. And the thing that I would like to do, I'd like to propose Krista is, and that is starting to happen in some of the academies across the, the country is where an officer has to shoot once a year to qualify to be an officer. And sometimes people shoot two, three times a year to qualify. My thing is if you go qualify that, that, that day you go qualify or that week you go qualify, whatever it is, that's when you should take a mental health wellness day. And that's when you go talk to a psychologist, a therapist, a peer support member, anyone. You're mandated to go talk to somebody. Even if you don't say a word, it, I think it would help relieve that stigma 
that's out there. I really believe that with all my heart, if we start doing that, it'll be uh, more effective and we'll uh, hopefully have less suicide because, I mean, if I, that we take that stigma away, now I go talk to that counselor once a year or even twice a year if I have to, I maybe I can go see that person a little bit more. And if something's really bothering me, even on the phone or through Zoom calls or whatever, it's something you don't have to leave your house now. That's what I love about with Zoom calls. You don't have to leave. I could talk to you if you were a therapist right from my, my home. So that's there's there so many great advances that we need to take advantage of. I love that. Our, our theory here uh, at Battle 3, we're actually taking a much more aggressive stance than that. We're trying, and of course it's always trying, to implement an entire new system that begins before hire and people actually get an informed consent. They get an understanding of what post-traumatic stress is. They get an understanding of what suicide prevention and, and awareness is. They get all the statistics that go with the career that they're trying to start. And just like working out, they have a system of counselors, coaches, peer support, all the lighter stuff. They don't have to see a therapist all the time. Because if we have mental health maintenance from the very beginning and everybody okay. goes once a week, just like you go to the gym, then everyone is seeing someone. Everyone has to talk to someone. And it doesn't matter, just like you said, it doesn't matter what you say or how you use them. But the fact that everyone has to go means you're not strange or broken or wrong. And no one will notice if you have something important to say or if you have a really bad day and you want to cry or whatever has to be released. It's just normal. Right. It just happens because we do this all the time. Our mental health has just become another workout. I agree. God, that is so good that, you know, Battle to Be is doing that. That's a wonderful thing. I uh, I agree wholeheartedly of everything that you said. I you know what I look at it is if I broke my arm, a physical ailment. All right, I broke my arm on the job. I'm gonna get it, re get it fixed, and I'm, I'll probably come back stronger with that arm ever before. And I, I look at it the same way. Like if I need to talk to somebody, if I, I hate to say a mental illness. I, I don't think it's a mental illness. It might be depressive, depression might be. Uh, anger management issues, anything, but don't don't take an officer out, out of law enforcement just because he's having some issues um, mentally. I hate to say mentally, but mentally. And to me, if you get you talk to someone, you come back stronger like that broken arm. You're going to come back stronger and be a, a much better officer instead of letting an officer go. And what happens, you, you dig a hole deeper, um, like like in Illinois, if an officer, if I would call right now and say, you know, I'm a, I'm a police, I'm a Chicago police officer and I want to kill myself. Now it's on tape on 911 that I want to kill myself. Illinois State Police comes, takes my FOIA card away. They'll take my badge, my uh, shield, everything, uh, ID. And now what happened? I need help. And what did they do? They just... And now I can't be an officer anymore. They, I just dug that hole deeper. So that's why a lot of officers don't want to take the chance of telling anybody how they feel or how they're hurting or or what's what's bothering them um, for fear of they're going to lose their job and, and never be an, an officer with something that their, their whole career is based on. It's, it's based on something that something I've always wanted to do. And then I'll no longer be able to provide for my family or myself. If I quote, tell everybody something's wrong with me. So that's what we're facing now. And I'm glad EAP and there's a lot of other places around that uh, have put more staff on if an officer does come through to um, to talk to someone. I'm, I'm very happy about that. So how long were you an officer? Uh, I was a Chicago police officer 22 years. And uh, 20 of those years, I was uh, in peer support, and I was so happy. I went on, I, you know what, Chris, I went on a lot of uh, police suicides. One of the, the units I was in was called Preventive Programs, and we handled any officer that was hurt or killed. And we 
not only did I go out as sometimes as peer, but sometimes as in, in my unit and preventive programs to an officer that uh, took his own life. And it was, it was like the elephants in the room and nobody wants to talk about it. That's why when I wrote my third book, it was called Is Police Suicide Is Police Officers Is Police Culture Killing Our Officers. And with my, my fourth book is called Breaking the Barriers. I'm, I'm really proud of this book is that it gives different um, light to things that officers can do to, you know, better, you know, better themselves, to change the way we support, you know, the physical and mental uh, health of police officers. It's so important that, you know, officers, we're human. We, we, we need to cry. You ever see an officer cry? I'm telling you, I was I was embarrassed to cry out on the field. I was saying, "Well, Ron's the weak link. He's he's you know he's he's emotional." They teach you don't be emotional in the in the academy. I, I said we never had a wellness program in the academy. All we had was tactical training. Well, how, I, I, we don't ever want to see an officer get killed in the line of duty. We do see that, but we have more officers killing themselves from from suicide than we do in the line of duty. That's one officer down is too much for me. But what does that tell you? We're we're technically we're I mean, we're doing good, but emotionally, emotional survival, I don't think we're doing so well. So that's what we need to change, and that's why I get on my soapbox about change. And um, I am just glad that uh, you know I met you at at the conference and was able to speak to you. I, I think very highly of everything that you've done and your view accomplished as a, as an author as well. And um, and that your your podcast, how you could reach out, even helping one other person, Krista, is so important. And I think if if one person sees this podcast and says, oh, you know what, I'm going to go talk to a therapist or I'm going to go talk to somebody in peer support, that's what I need to do. Then it's all to me, it's all worthwhile. All the, the hard work and writing books and publishing and all that. It, it really it, it does take a lot out of a person, but it's all well worth it in the end and i think that's what we are thankful for for just getting the word out and i thank you for that and, and battle to be as well so it is challenging for sure to be heard amongst all of the chaos out there but it, it, those of us with a mission those of us with passion we just get louder and louder <laughs> to make right. sure that we finally get noticed so and i feel your passion i i just speaking to you i knew that you were passionate about about what you were doing there and with you know mental health and mental wellness and then the, the sexual predation too that we we spoke about as well so you really have a, a great passion for the for that as well and i appreciate you on that <laughs> so i want to talk a little bit about a topic that might be a little taboo out there because people don't want to talk about the external culture. We all know that there's a warrior culture. We all know that our first responders, especially police officers, have this like strength and they're not allowed to have emotion and they're not allowed to to reach out. But there's also another cultural problem going on right now. And I'm wondering how much you are noticing it affecting the people that you're around. The idea that the hatred, the lack of respect, the lack of even compliance when it comes to just a simple traffic stop, everybody wants to have, not everybody, of course, but in a general manner, speaking generally right now, there's this like attitude that I don't have to do what you say. And, you know, you didn't you pulled me over for some stupid reason, not not for anything real. And we used to have, you know, you knew how to behave when an officer pulled you over. You said, yes, sir. And you handed over your driver's license and there was no question. You maybe got a ticket or you didn't and you moved on. But how do you think this change is is affecting our folks on the street? That's a great question. The morale out in the police department today, and I believe it's in every department, is so low. I loved being the police, and when I came on, it was probably one of the best times, is that when you told someone to stop, they stopped. They listened. They respected you, but we respected them as well. And, and it's all on how you approach someone. 
Uh, you can approach somebody as as a jerk, and what they're, they're going to react as as to your reaction as well. But if you show that respect in the beginning, and that res that mutual respect was there, not everybody showed you that respect. Uh, there was a lot of people that didn't. But I mean, you were able to take someone in and you know process them and do what you needed to do. And they went to they went to jail. But today, it's it's coming from being proactive when you see somebody on the street that you say god that, that guy just doesn't look right or you know you're i'm not talking about a racial profiling thing i'm just talking about someone in general you know it looks like he has a gun on his side that's anybody can be hit with a gun on their side or just this guy doesn't you know what is this guy doing in the back alley what is he doing back there whatever so you're proactive you can't even be proactive today so that's really changing the culture you're more reactive and these the people that are being reactive they may go on the cops are going to call they may go on a, a burglary call they may stay on that a little extra time and then when they're done they'll wait for another call they're not going to be circling the areas going through alleys that's what we did. We we did that. We were proactive as as police officers. Um, I was telling my wife today we were driving this afternoon, and I told my wife that we were driving on the south side of Chicago. I said, you know what? The district I was in was south. It was in Bridgeport in the ninth district, and my first gun was on Fifty First Street. I remember when I was passed. I said, I told my wife that's where I got my first gun pinch from. Uh, as an officer, I remember exact spot and what we did and everything else. But it's you can't do that. To, I, I don't say you can't do that. Everybody's saying it's either racial, and I hate that because um, the respect has to be there, and it's not. And I think that's what we're fighting. We're not only it's it, it's just it just makes our our job much much more difficult to do uh, when you're not you don't have anybody in your corner in the ninth district just last week they had a shooting and it was a gang against a gang and uh, a young man got killed but the police officers were there and they were throwing bricks and bottles and everything else at the officers that were trying to help this young man that got that got shot i mean there was no respect where instead of somebody coming up and helping the police and say hey that guy did it they were they were throwing objects at at us. I wouldn't say at us. At the I consider myself the police, but they were throwing objects at the police and making it very difficult for, for them to do their job. I mean, that our our criminal justice system has really kind of just gone downhill. I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't you know it's um, some countries that take it like that like uh, take an eye for an eye or if you steal something they'll cut your finger or whatever i don't know if that i think caning might be the way to go but i don't think that'll ever happen uh, because if somebody does something if you do it just if you hurt them in some in, in a way that they won't do it again instead of putting them in prison uh that might be something but I, that'll never be um so I don't know how to what we knew, what we need to do to change it, but being a police officer today is so demanding. Uh, not many cops are, not many police officers are even coming on the job. We had in January we had 400 police officers leave the city of Chicago. Normally we it's about a hundred a month is from attrition. In January we had 400 leave, and guess how many graduated the academy maybe a quarter of that 13 oh geez 400 leaving 13 coming in come on we need more we need more so chicago has lowered their standards to taking somebody in but the void is going to be there cap i speak to many cops all the time um a lot of my friends i i go to districts all the time and they'll say right i got two years and i can't wait to get the hell out of here um uh, police officers with two, three years on the job are turning their stars in. That was that was not, that would never happen. Never happened when when I was on the job. Never. Two, three years on, they're coming in. Girls, guys, turning in their stars. I'm done. I don't need it. So what's going to happen? We don't have anybody else that's coming in to fulfill, to, to take care of the 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 older officers that are ready to leave. We don't have anybody. It's going to be even tougher for everybody that's there. Um, they're going to try to find somebody uh, the. Officers that are 
um, on desk on desk duty and put them back on the street somehow and maybe bring more civilians in to, to, to handle paperwork at the desks. That might be a possibility as well. But it's, it's tough out there, Chris. It's really tough being an officer. That's where they're getting depressed because they can't do anything and there, there's no support for them. The administration doesn't support them and the, the people on the street, everybody's looking for a free ride. If you grab somebody the wrong way, what happens? Now they'll, they'll complain on you, they'll maybe sue you for what, what, what is, it, is it worth it when they can go somewhere else and get the same amount of money or more working at a different job. So I don't know. When you were an officer 20 years ago, was ambush a fear that you had? Was that even something that, that was happening? I think it was in the back of everybody, every officer's um, mind, because you never know what's what's going to happen. Um, how someone really reacts that you don't know. You know, you get a call and say, you know, there's a domestic. You're walking in. You may be walking into God knows what. Uh, it's one of the most, it's a scary situation, a domestic anyway. That and traffic stops are one and two in, in officer, uh, officer safety issues that they can get hurt hurt or killed. But you never know what you're walking into. I was, you're always worried about being ambushed. But again, it's always uh, to be on the side of caution, Krista, is, is, is to be careful, uh, to always watch your back. Have a, having a, uh, good partners, I think, is important. And... Um, Talking, talking, communication is the best. Is you got to talk with your your partners, and uh, I had a real great partner. His name was Dave Hoffenkamp. We were together for years, and we we had a lot of fun together. We had fun on the job, and I think that's cops can't have fun anymore. What they're doing. I mean, we had we had a lot of fun on the job, and uh, we laughed a lot, and uh, we did our jobs, and, and did it you know did the best what we our ability. But we actually had fun, and which is a lot of officers today, they don't have fun. You can see they're miserable out there. So, again, something needs to change. Right. And I think a lot of some things need to change, and I think that might be the problem, is there's no one single solution. I think we're looking at so many facets of a problem that that there really is no, no easy fix. There is no end-all, be-all solution. The, we've lost the respect for life. We've lost the respect for authority. We've lost the respect for rules and regulations right. and and social structure. And it's it's just you know for for people who are trying to help enforce the rules, if nobody's respecting them, it creates a really big challenge. Problem, right? And we have a state's attorney here in Chicago. They're out. They're out before. They're they, you know the the. The officers out on the street, so she she she's letting people go that should be locked up, uh, and it's coming back to to bite her. And I hope she doesn't uh, get reelected again. But where you live, Krista, I mean, do you see your officers being? Um, I don't want to say depressed, but being um, overworked. Maybe I, I, that might be a good word. Well, I'm in Texas, so we're actually still we're very. We're a very Republican state. We're a very, um, very law and order state. Uh, we have a lot of just there's a lot of military pride here and a lot of uh, officer pride here. But we do have some some areas that are turning problematic. So we have some of our smaller cities where they've got the catch and release program going on where, you know, we've got a couple judges that are not keeping people in. Um, there's been a lot of talk about implementing three strikes, which I think is for me, I like the three strikes rule and I don't care if you stole a lollipop, you know, three, by the time you get everybody progresses. So if you're, bur if you're robbing houses, you're going to get violent. If you're, whatever you're doing, you're just going to get worse and worse and worse if you're keep on repeating. So, and we, everybody in Texas has guns. So, <laughs> you know, right, you're right. Houses, you're robbing houses with a gun and you intend to use it if you need to. So I love the idea of three strikes. And I think every state should have that because we just had we just had someone who was on his 13th ma major burglary. 
Okay. And he was out on a, like, nothing. It was maybe, I can't remember what the article said, but it was like a $100 bond. After unbelievable. unbelievable. Major crimes. And I was just like, this person's going to hurt someone. And you you have to wait until this person hurts someone. Like, but unfortunately, yeah. our state, we have lost more officers than any other than any other right now. We are way far ahead of the curve. Uh, in suicide or in um, in line of duty death? In overall loss of officers, and it's been everything. It's been you okay. know we had we had one get get run over by a car, uh, which you know which happens a lot. Um, we have had suicide. We've had COVID. We've had you know so it's a little bit of everything. Um, okay. We had an, an officer ambushed, uh, shot in their car, like, but. Texas should not be, you know, we, we're not usually the cities with, with the, the highest numbers of officers down and it just keeps happening. I, I feel like I hear about it every single day. There's just another one, another report. And I'm just like, what is happening here? And it really is everything. It's people are not paying attention. People are not following rules and, you know, you move over when there's a cop car, you don't, or I know. just small, simple things that, that we just don't do anymore. So right. it all compounds. I agree. You know, what's scary is that in uh, Buffalo with that that uh, young man mm-hmm. that shot uh, the 10 innocent people out there. Now they're making a big racial thing out of it. Um, but in Chicago, you open up the uh, the TV and uh, on the TV, it's like, you know how many? It's like how many were shot? How many were shot last night? It's there's the, that shock value is gone. I mean, oh, we had thirty shot one weekend. I think we had sixty or seventy people shot. I can't not not many people were killed, um, but uh, maybe tw- I want to say not many. Twelve and one is one too many. But um, eighty people with gun shooting. I, I know in Texas everybody has a gun there, but you never hear about it like you do in Chicago. Chicago, it's like every day. Every day, there's especially in the warm weather. We had a great day today. It was 80 degrees. I got to tell you, we probably, if I open up the news at 10 o'clock tonight, I I would almost guarantee we had 30 shootings. I, I could almost bet you. And, I, and I, I'll call you tomorrow and say how many shootings we had tonight because the warm weather, uh, we always seem that we have a higher amount of shootings. And it's it's just a shame. Where in Buffalo, we they had 10 and it's all the president's even talking about it. That's that's every day here. That's every day. We're, I feel like we're in Beirut, so it's it's not a good thing. But um, being an officer today is, you know, I wanted my daughters. I have three girls, and I wanted my when I first came on, I said, you know what, girls, I I really believe police off being a, in law enforcement is is a great thing. I really would, you know, if you would want to follow my footsteps. And each one of them said, you know what, Dad, I really don't want to do that. I want to do this, 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 and this. I said, I am so glad that they didn't go in law enforcement. I mean, I mean, I, but in the beginning, I wanted them to only because I loved the job. And I was hoping that they would, um, you know, go into law enforcement. But I am today, I am so happy that they didn't go into law enforcement, Krista. And it's like, you know, um, but we need officers and we need good officers out there, officers that are understanding and uh, that will take care of themselves. You know, when you when you leave the door, when you leave the station, you got to say, you know what, I'm, not, I'm no longer an officer and um, you got to go home and take care of yourself. And that's what we need to do today. We need to really take care of ourselves after on the job and after the job, you know, after uh, when we. Uh, leave the station. Even when we retire, we have a lot of, we just had a, an officer last week uh, retired just a couple of years and he, and he took his life. Um, you know, some guys have really nothing to do when they retire. They have to really prepare for retirement. I love, I love being retired. I'm going to be retired seven years, but I feel that my calling was writing these books and, and going out to different uh, seminars uh, going across the country and speaking. I love it. Uh, I'm meeting a lot of new people, but that's like a new chapter for me, a new chapter in my life that I never did before. I didn't travel as, as much as I did now that I'm retired and meeting wonderful people like you too that really have the same passion 
as I do. So I think just helping, as I said earlier, helping one person, that means the world to me. I um, I was in Virginia and I, a girl came up to me. I was signing books at, at the table and uh, she was there for a long time looking at the book. I said, would you like a book? She says, I, I really can't afford one. I'm not charging a lot on the book, but I said, I'm going to give you one. She says, well, it's not for me. It's for my brother. He's having diff a difficult time. I said, you know what? I'm going to give one to you and one to your brother. And, and I signed them both. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want a penny. Play it forward. And, and you know, if, and if you need to call me, I'll give you my card. And if your brother needs to call me, please do. So I feel like I'm always with Pure where it, if someone really needs to talk about it, I mean, I've, I've talked to people all the time. I'll get a call. And I don't know who it is. Sometimes I don't answer because I don't, I'm worried about scam calls and all that. But if somebody saying, hey, Ron, I, I have your book. I want to talk to you. It's okay. Great. So then I'll call them back if they leave, you know, leaving a message. But um, I've talked to many, many people that are really hurting out there, Krista. And uh, I just think having an ear to talk about it where, you know that whatever they say is in confidence and then I'm whatever I tell them or to discuss with them. And I think listening is, is a, the number one key is I, some, there was one gentleman that I, I spoke to. And I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, he spoke for a good half hour. I, I had hardly a word or two in, into the conversation. I was just listening. I was like, okay. Okay. I just want to let them know I'm still there, but um I just think that some people really need to talk and get some of the stuff off their chest and finding someone that they can talk to is so important. And um, I think that's what we need to do. So just like our military, we're losing, we're losing 22 a day in the military. Same thing. We, we need to, to help our military out there too. Um, so it, it's, it's just, a, it's just a shame. One person is way too many for me, Chris. So that's how I look at it. I get emotional with this. So. Yeah, we just lost a, an Air Force captain, um, shot himself today. Today? So, I mean, I mean it, it, we see it every day, but it, every everyone, every time you see it, it, it does. It, it hits home that we weren't fast enough. We didn't fix it soon enough. We weren't there for those people. And it's not just, I mean, there's a ton of us out here, you know, trying to change things, but there's not enough people trying to change things. There's not enough voices. There's not enough programs. There's not enough resources. And the resources that are there, oftentimes the people who need them don't know they're there. So how do we get that information to the people who need it the most? It's a big challenge. Right. But some of them are scared to take that information, though, too, Krista. They really are. They, they, I, I had um, a young man call me, and I said, listen, maybe I, there's a couple rehab centers that I, I recommend. Uh, one's in Utah, one's in Florida. And uh, I said, they won't say anything to, on the, you know, to anyone on the job if, if you want to go that route. And um, we're, they're worried. They're worried about their 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 profession. And I don't, I don't blame them. I think, you know what, being to, to talk to someone, it does take a lot to, to open up to someone. And that's why I love peer is that it's another officer talking to another officer. And I'm just wondering if they have that for the military where a military can talk to somebody in the military, like a peer support. I, I don't know about that. I'd like to try to find out if they have that, but um, something Some like that. Peer support is, it is universal, but it is, it's location specific. So some departments, some bases, you know, it's, it's all about whether it's really about whether people who are in the military, not the, not the top people, but whether people who are serving have put together a peer resource group. Okay. So it kind of comes from the bottom up. It's, you know, right. all it takes is someone to go and, and get the trainings and and it's very easily accessible uh, here in Texas. It's very very accessible. We have a lot of different organizations. Uh, now I'm not that gonna people can talk to that yeah, someone can talk to, right? Our mental health organizations for the state actually teach people how to run peer support groups. So you can go for free and do like a four hour workshop that teaches you how to how to ask the right questions and how to listen which is okay. really all you need for peer support, right? right? You just have to be able to say, 
Where are you? Where do you want to be? How are you going to get there? Right. Those are the big questions, right? And then, you know, I'm here to hear you and actually be able to listen and then say, okay, this is where you are right now. How can we get you to a better place? Let's right. take some action. Let's do something. So peer support isn't relegated to, you know, you have to be this educated, experienced mental health professional. It's, it's very simple and easy and accessible, but I think so many people just don't know how to get that going and, and how to, how to use it. Right. And you have to have the right person and the right fit with you as well. You might have someone that says, you know what, because you have to be that confidentiality has to be there where someone talks to me. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. I never even tell my wife if when I speak to someone about uh, some of the issues that they're having. Uh, she never even asked me. She already knows better on that. But because uh, I would go out, I'd be on call 24 uh, seven with peer uh, like a few weeks out of the year with my team. and. Um, it's a confidentiality you have to instill in them. It has to be there where they actually trust you or trust the uh, the other person that they're they're dealing with. I, that is so important, and uh, and really listening to them, active listening is so important. And uh, we had a we had a, uh, a state trooper that killed himself. And my first thought when I found out that that he took his life on the expressway, young young kid about thirty some years old, thirty two years old at, with four or five years on the job. What what bothered me is that my first thought was, how come I couldn't get him a book to read my, one of my books? That's my first thought is how come I could, I wish this kid would have called me or talked to me. And uh, I think that would have been, that was my first thought when I found out that he passed. And now that's that's why I feel like everything, I got it, I, I really want to get the word out that it's, it's okay to get help. And, um, you're not going to be that weak link in the chain and that stigma that, that stigma is we need to take that stigma down and that's how i look at it that stigma has to go that stigma has to be buried in my eyes so yeah that's yeah I I, on facebook today there was a tiny interaction that literally encompassed the whole thing there was a young man uh, a 19 year old uh, had just graduated high school and he said, I want to be either a firefighter or a police officer. And it was on a first responder page. And he said, does anyone have any feedback, you know, which is better in terms of salary and resources and all this other stuff? He's like, you know, I really, I can't decide. And the first comment that popped up was nobody hates firemen. Right. Nobody hates firemen. You know what? I love firemen because that's where we were when I saw you, Chris. You know, nobody hates firemen. They really don't. When you talk about policemen, that some say, um, you know, if we're if we're too aggressive, that we're bullies. If we're not aggressive, we're wimps. Uh, but as a fireman, I, I mean, I I admire firemen. I really do. And they go to the fire together. They come home together. Talk. They can talk about different things, but they still have as many issues as police officers do. Um, I, I just believe it's a calling. It's what in your heart, what you want to be. I could have been a fireman. I, I, my passion was being a police officer. That's something that I wanted to do, but I didn't come on till late. I, you know, I worked for my dad for many, many years. And I, uh, when my dad passed away is when I really decided, I said, you know what, I've always wanted to be a copper. This is what I'm going to do. And I really believe that it's a, it, it is a, just like how, what you're doing, Krista and God bless you for what you're, what you're doing. And uh, it's a calling. I really believe you need, it's a special person to be a police officer. And I think it's a special person to be a fireman, but I think every fireman, if you ask a hundred firemen, if we have how many people are, are watching us right now that are, are police officers, they'll say, be a fireman. Don't be a cop. I, I can almost guarantee it. Uh, firemen would say, "Oh, I love my job." I don't. I don't know how many would say be a cop. I really don't. But I think more more police officers would say, especially in today's environment, that I think it's better to be a uh, a fireman today than being a police officer. I, I think it's, it would be less stress, and I think that even though they're both stressful jobs, don't get me wrong, but I think it would be less stress being a fireman than it would be a policeman. But that's the whole thing. The stress. The stress is the killer. Stress is the killer out there. 
So. so I'm going to tell a little tiny story that I've never told anyone. And okay. it's always astonishing to me why no one's ever asked me why I'm so passionate about police officers. Okay. Because I make it very clear that police, like I'm really, really drawn to fixing this for police officers. It's, it's like my first priority. So I have a criminal justice degree and I have, and I specialized in forensics and okay. I worked in investigating human trafficking on, with a contract unit. My objective that whole time, I wanted to be a police officer more than anything in the, in the world. And I was living in Alaska at the time and an officer shot himself after a, a failed rescue. We were supposed to be getting some, some teenagers out and the person decided that they weren't gonna let him out and ended up killing some of the kids. And an officer decided at that moment that that was just, it was whatever, for whatever reason, that was just too much. So uh, took his own life. That very same week, two officers were, uh, there was a domestic call. They were called out in one of our villages out there and they were, they were ambushed. They didn't even, they got out of their car and they were killed by someone who was on the other side, not at the home that they'd been called to. And I had interviewed, I had put in my paperwork and I was going to apply. Like I had gone through, I'd gotten the request for the interview and I was okay. going to be an officer. And when I went in and talked to them, when I, when I went for my interview, I found out that I couldn't go straight to, to investigating, which is what I was comfortable with. And that I would have to spend two years as a patrol. And my husband, who is who is very aware of my personality, said, "You you can't. You're not. You you'll never live through that. You are not dominant, or you're not going to make it as a street cop." And I went, "You know, I actually like. I don't. People aren't gonna. People aren't going to respect me. And I recognize that we're living in a world where if you are not." the right fit, if you are not that personality that's going to demand respect, command respect, you're going to be dead in two seconds flat. So I was like, I'm not going to survive two years. And I decided to to not do it. All that time, all that money, all that effort, that was my dream. I was going to be an officer. And I went, I'm going to die an officer. And I, I, I'm not going to die in like, you know, a blaze of glory. I'm going to step out of my car and get shot in the face before I even ask for someone's driver's license. So I was like, I can't do that. I let my fear win. But that was the reality of the job. That was the reality of what you face every single day is you get up knowing that when you step out of your car to go ask for that driver's license, someone might do that to you. Right. You never know. So, you never know. And then especially when you're saying goodbye, to your family, that might be the last time you said goodbye to them. So it's like, you know, my thing is never go to bed mad because you never know that, um, especially as a, as a cop, when you're, you, you may not be coming home that day. So I can't tell you how many times as um, when we were at, uh, when officers that uh, got killed in the line of duty or took their own lives and how many of the family members said, you know what, we had an argument I, and that's the last time I, they have no recourse of going back and saying, I'm sorry, or, you know, or I forgot to tell them I love them. Or I forgot to tell her I love them, whatever. So, you know what, it's, it's being good to the people that you're with right now. And cause you never know what tomorrow will bring Krista. And you know what, you know, you made the right decision is that it's, you look, look at your, look at what you've accomplished right now and, and you're helping so many other people. Um, I believe when one door closes, another one opens. And I think the the man upstairs knows what he's doing. And um, changing your mind might have been the, the perfect thing because you might have gotten hurt or killed on the line of duty. You don't know. Or, you know, God forbid, taking your own life. And that's not good. So I, I really believe that if you listen to your, your heart, uh, it'll tell you the way to go. And that's why... You know, so many people say, how come you keep writing books and stuff about because it's a passion of mine. It's something that, again, helping helping some other officers that really need it. 
because there was a lot of things that happened to me that I was scared to go get help. I was scared to talk to somebody about it because the fear of, you know, hey, Ron Rufo's the weak link in this chain. I didn't want it, want that. I didn't want that to be, but it's, it's like I needed to talk to somebody myself. And I just, it, I was changing in a way that I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping while I was getting a lot of complaints and that wasn't me. I was the happy-go-lucky cop, not the cop that was, you know, um, getting complaints against with, you know, verbal complaints or, or physical or anything else that way. So I knew I needed to get help. And when I did, I even parked, I don't know if I told you the story, I parked three or four blocks away from EAP. I didn't want anybody to see my car. And I looked like a thug because I had a, I had a hoodie on, I had a hat on, I kind of crouched in. So I didn't want everybody to know that a Ron Rufo needed to go get some uh, some uh, counseling because I needed it. I know I did it. And that was the whole thing. I said, why am I hiding it? Why am I hiding that? That it's okay. It's, you know what? We got to make this okay to get help. And uh, it bothered the hell out of me. It really did. Uh, but And I'm glad that um, that's why I think peer support really changed me. Because a lot of stuff that happened to me early on in my career was was um, quite substantial, where it really bothered. I said, I, "I'm not getting paid enough for this. It's not. It's not right." Especially when you see in death and and everything else, especially to, to children. So, but that's what we, a lot of officers are really hurting today, and that's what we need to change, Krista. And, and I'm glad you're you're on the bandwagon. You're the leader of helping with that. And, and getting the word out. And I, I admire you and, and uh, battle to be for that. I really do. And keep on writing. <laughs> and we will do a project together. I know it. So I, well, I, know. I would love to do some. I would love to write with you, Chris. I really would. It, that would be an honor. And um, it, that's I love. I love writing. In fact, sometimes I'll uh, I'll get up early in the morning. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, I got I, I got to write this down because I just came in here or whatever. So, uh, but she's, I got to tell you, I have a great wife. She's, she just, uh, she's downstairs right now. And uh, she, uh, she's be supports me no matter what I do. And uh, that's, that's the best thing when you have the support is, um, is it's, that's amazing. That's hundred percent of what officers need today and firefighters and paramedics and whatever. When I say officers, I mean, first responders, uh, we're all in the same. We all have our same issues all the way through. And uh, I'm so glad I met you at uh, in Oakbrook, uh, Illinois, for, with that seminar because it was firemen. And I've never been to a fireman seminar before and uh, the peer support firemen. And that really opened up my eyes because I was going to rewrite my, my police suicide book. But I said, you know what? It's going to be a first responder suicide. And that's what I want to do to help. And um, so that changed my whole life with uh, firemen and meeting you there really uh, inspired me as well. Everything happens for a reason. It really does, Krista. Connections are very, very powerful. And this is a battle we can't fight alone. This is something we, we all have to come together and kind of create a tidal wave of change. And the only way to do that is for all of us you know, everyone who's at those conventions, everyone who is like struggling to find their place in that battle. Like I hear so many people say, this is just can't be, but they don't know how to articulate how to change it, or they don't know what, what they want to do to be a piece of that puzzle. And if we all just get together on the same page and start, start making policy suggestions and start really looking at what are things we actually can do, not, not, this is a big picture and we want it to change, but what steps can we take to actually start breaking this down? Right. And we do agree. it together, we'll get there. That's why I wrote breaking the barriers. So we need to break that barrier and that's important. You know, hearing other people's stories is so enlightening about how they've they've come to terms with what they've struggled through. Um, Billy Sinkay is a sergeant, a great guy. He's a, a, a wonderful speaker. I don't know if you know Bill. Um, he tells a great story, and I got to tell you, you're, you're every word he says, you're like, like you've been there as with him, and um, he's a great guy. He's with Haven uh, Rehab Centers, but Billy Sinkay was a retired. He's a sergeant, and uh, he's got an excellent story. If if you ever want to have 
him on, Krista. I think you would uh, it would be a, a great uh, enlighten, enlightenment. And Karen Hurley, too, is another person that you may want to put on. She's wonderful as well. Uh, and Scott. So they're, they're two, two uh, good other people that I have uh, that I've known personally. And, and I'm trying to work with them a little bit more because uh, of their the message that they're putting out. Have you read Michael's book yet? Um, Michael Francis? Which one? How do you say his name right? The Segu? Oh, my. So, no, I have not. I have. He hasn't sent it to me. I haven't gotten it. No. Sugru. Sugru, I think is his. Sugru, Michael Sugru. Yeah. It, just, it just came out, I think, like a the week other, or two ago. Yeah, last week or two weeks ago. Yeah, I got an. He. he he sent me a message that uh, it was it came out, but uh, he said he would send me one, but I I haven't received <laughs> it or I haven't whatever. So, but I mean he's busy. I mean, right. you know, but I haven't seen it. No. When you said Michael, I have a good friend of mine. His name is Michael Francis. He just wrote a book too. He was he was a mobster in the uh, Colombo family, and, and he's a friend of mine. Right, my wife's been a friend of my wife and I. But he's uh, he found God and. He's a dear friend, and uh, that's when you said Michael. I said, "Oh my God, you know Michael too." So, uh, <laughs> but um, well, he also sounds like a really interesting person. <laughs> Michael Francis, uh, I got to tell you, he is a wonderful person. If you go uh, on his YouTube channel, you really—he's—he's he's quite enlightening. A great speaker. Uh, I went to go see him in California past uh, October, my wife and I, and uh, we went to the, he we he went to the church where he was speaking at because he says about how he found God in prison. And uh, um, he said, I want to, I didn't like police officers when he was growing up. And uh, he said, there's uh, an officer, there's a gentleman, an officer was my friend. And uh, he told me to stand up and I stood up in front of the whole uh, crowd and he said I, I'm proud to call him my friend so and I'm proud to call him mine as well but he said I would never ever think I'd be friends with a police officer and here I'm friends with Ron Rufo so that's good that made me happy we're all people yeah yeah I think that's one of the things we have to remember is that we're all people right right it's having a heart, and I think that's showing your heart. And I, I know I show mine on my sleeve as as you do, Krista, that you really care about you know people and and helping others. And I think that has to be all the way around. And that's why I'm so proud to be a police officer and helping other police officers as best I can. Um, it just pains me that um, when I hear an officer get killed on the line of duty or or take or who takes their own life, it just pains me with that. that um makes me work harder put it that way yeah yes. i'm sorry i get emotional with this but i do no uh i think it's a beautiful thing that you can show your emotions because i think it shows it shows our people that we did we need to it, that it, it is okay and it happens and we all cry and we all hurt and we all feel pain and and we're all in it together and yeah. yeah i couldn't have done this 15 years ago i would have been crying i would have been the tough guy but i've changed so i still say strength <laughs> strength is actually allowing yeah. Strength is not in the shoving it down. Shoving it down is easy, but it eats you up. It Strength does. I shoved it down quite a bit. My, in my oh my god, unbelievable! I'm totally different than I was then. So, but I know. I think we all do. It, it, one one guy at a seminar said, "Suck it up, Buttercup," and it really kind of resonated with me because that's what that, that's what happens. Just suck it up. I remember one guy said uh, at roll call, he said, "Suck it up, kid. This is what you signed in for." So I said, because, you know, we, we had a real bad accident uh, that we handled. And I got it was, I said, God, I'm, this is not, what am, what am, what am I doing? It's, this is not what I thought. Uh, I know you had accidents, but, you know, like one after the net, another one, I said, it was just too much. And this kid, the guy said, suck it up. And he said, if you want to go to the bar, 
some of us are going to the bar tonight. And that's what, the, that was their way of coping is going to the bar. And yeah. I said, you know what? I, no, no, I'm not going to the bar. It's not me. I'm not doing it. So I don't drink anyway, but um, any excuse for a copper to drink that, that, you know, let's go to the bar. Then that's it. So um, I'm not saying all cops are alcoholics, but some of them like to tote a little bit. And some of the guys that I, when I first came on, they really like to, to, uh, to have a good time, but um, that's that's it. That's, that's it's in a the past. Mechanism. What's that? It's a coping mechanism. Coping. Oh God, yes, it is. So. And all coping mechanisms are useful until they're not. <laughs> until they're not right. Until they take it the wrong way, or overdo something too. Right. Not all right. things in moderation. What's that, Chris? All things in moderation. <laughs> all things in moderation. I agree, hundred percent. So we should probably go because we've we've been on here for an hour. But okay. what is the most important thing that you would want to say to people as we sign off? As we sign off, well, thank you for having me. Is number one. Uh, the second thing, let's let's bury that stigma and uh, let's get the help that we need. And it's okay to get help, and that's the whole thing. If you're struggling, reach out to someone. Reach out to me. Reach out to here, reach out to anyone that will listen to you. And uh, I want to make it mandatory where everybody has to go get help at some point, uh, once a year uh, or twice a year, whatever it is. That's why I said when you shoot, you you go you go to take a, a, a mental health day or two or three, whatever that your your uh, whatever the uh, uh, administration will allow. So that's my whole thing. Let's stop the stigma, um, and let's let's you know we got to save more officers out there because every officer is hurting in some way. They really are, uh, and the job just does not help either. So that's my thing. So I want to thank you, Krista, for letting me share. Thank you for coming. It's been a thank pleasure. You. Always. Let's keep in touch and. Um, I'll send you my, my book is on street safety. It's um, that's the next one coming out. And then I'm going to redo the uh, uh, police suicide book to first responder suicide. So uh, I'm going to rewrite that. I want to put you in that one as well. Uh, I want your thoughts and, um, and I'll reach out to you. I'll get back to you on that one though. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, I really admire you and uh, it's been an honor to be on your program. And we will definitely stay in touch. All right. Thanks, Krista. Thank Have you. a great day. You too. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. If you are watching this podcast off of our anchor, please feel free to support battle to be and our mission with the button that you'll find down underneath. It just says support this podcast. If you are watching live on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or uh, the Battle to Be page, please feel free to go to battle2be.org and you can support us there. And if you don't know what we're all about yet and you don't know about the Ferryman Mission, do take a little bit of time to get to know us and what we're doing. And I will see you guys all in the next few days. We are going to have another guest next week. Next week. So thank you so much for watching. Please remember, we are all human. We all have feelings. We all have needs. We all have families that we want to get home to. So think about that the next time that you get pulled over or the next time that you see an officer on the side of the road. Take some time to remember that they are human with stories and names and lives and families, just like you, just like me.